0: Thank you, Tom, Teresa. I'll just give the benediction now and we'll go home. (laughs) Isaiah 28 this morning. Isaiah 28. So I'm going to give you a Pacific Island joke this morning. I don't know if you're going to think this is funny or not. But it goes like this. Knock, knock. Statue. Now this is where it's very Pacific Island, okay? Is that you, bro? <laughs> Statue, is that you, bro? Let me see. It's a big hit in the Pacific Islands. Luke twenty-eight. Um, let's just read the text, and we'll usually I give a, a touch of background, but we'll give it as we go this time. Luke 28. I'm going to start at verse 14. You're there? You find it? Okay, Luke 28, verse 14. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule. Did I say Luke? <laughs> Have I been saying Luke for five minutes? <laughs> See. That's what happens when you tell a Pacific Island joke. (laughs) It gets you all muddled up. How about we go to Isaiah? Isaiah 28. Give me a chance to drink a little more water. Okay. Isaiah 28. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a testing stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hell will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. Let's pray for our time. Lord, we praise you right now for the cornerstone. God, we thank you for, like Hebrews says, all the shadows of the Old Testament, the the pictures of what the Messiah will be. And we know he will be Emmanuel, God with us, born from a virgin, Isaiah tells us mighty God Himself, the Prince of Peace. And He will also be a cornerstone that salvation is built upon Him and Him alone. And for His people, the stones built into God's house, we rest solely upon the work of this mighty cornerstone for us. Lord, and we praise You now and let Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the Son, the second person in heaven. Receive all the glory now, all the praise. Let him be worshiped and honored for freely coming down and dying for us to be the cause from beginning to end of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus is teaching and the temple and he's preaching the gospel there and the chief priests and the scribes they come to him and they say by what authority are you doing these things in other words who are you and who gives you the authority to preach you're not a scribe you're not a pharisee who are you His answer is, I am the Son sent with all the authority of my Father in heaven to be the cornerstone of man's salvation. Let me explain that. When the Temple of Solomon was built years ago in the Old Testament, the giant stones of the walls and foundations were entirely prepared at the quarry and brought to the building site. No building instruments could be used in the house of worship. Now the Jewish rabbis recorded this story. They said there was one stone that came to the site where the temple was soon to be built and it was huge. It was brought from the quarry but there was no place for it. So they drug it to the side. It was abandoned. And when the builders came and began to accumulate their stones, they realized as they examined what they had, they had no cornerstone for such a structure. They had no stone that was large enough and big enough and perfect enough to carry the weight of everything that would be placed on it. You see, for those stones, if there was one crack, if there was one pierce, if there was one fault in it, it was discarded because over time, the heat and the water would get in And caused the stone in one way or the other to be corrupt. And the whole building could collapse. Well, as the buildingers were looking, they saw this stone, the rejected stone, in the field. And they went to examine it. And they found it faultless. They brought it and they placed it as the cornerstone of the Old Testament temple. So the rabbis tell us. And it fit perfectly. Now Jesus then says in Luke 20 to these rabbis when they say, who are you? He said, I am the stone, the builders rejected, that has become the cornerstone. you see that? Of course, he's quoting from Psalm 118. And he's claiming to be the cornerstone laid by God himself, yet rejected by men, which is what happened on the cross. Now to a Jew, that's quite a claim, isn't it? We don't build our buildings. There's no cornerstone that I know of here. But to a Jew, that's a huge claim because it's rooted in Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 28. Judah has made a covenant with Egypt for protection. Isaiah says, You've made a covenant with death, and lies have become your refuge. And suddenly, when you think he's going to continue down that line, he just stops. At verse 16. And he says, Behold. Now the last time he used that language, it was chapter 7, verse 14. You would know this verse. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. The promise that the Messiah would be born of a virgin and given to us and who would be God himself. Now he starts this segment here. Behold. Behold. Same language. I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion. A stone, a tested stone. A precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. And then he describes what's going to be written on that stone, that cornerstone. The Messiah himself. He says this. Whoever believes will not be in haste. God is saying in my house of salvation... The Messiah is the cornerstone. All of salvation, from beginning to end, rest upon him. Jesus comes and he says, no less than five times it's said in the New Testament, Christ is the cornerstone from his mouth and from the apostles. Now, why does he then, like when I'm reading this, you feel like he's about to pour out more judgment and condemnation on Judah And suddenly he just breaks into, verse 16, Behold a cornerstone. Why does he do that? Why is that here? And the reason is, because in the place of lies and hiding, resting in the covenant of death with Egypt, comes something so much better, a cornerstone from God so that the call then is to come away from the lies that you are believing, to come out of the places that you are hiding, and believe and rest upon the work of the Messiah for salvation, and not just salvation, but your self satisfaction in life. And one of the results of knowing Christ, he tells us those very words, the epitaph written on the stone, is the believer's life is not controlled by haste. So when we feel the pressure like you do of the Assyrians pushing in on your life whatever that may be burdening us we don't run to Egypt. We're not controlled by impatience. We're not impetuous in our desires, rash and foolish in our actions. Because our lives are resting fully, 100% on the cornerstone. And we look and we trust in Him. So here's the main idea today, that refuge on Christ the cornerstone. Not just for your salvation, but all of your life. All of it. If you're a believer. Two things. First, don't refuge in a lie. Look at verse 14 and 15 with me in your scriptures. And I'll read that once more. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge and falsehood. We have taken shelter. Notice that first word there, therefore. You see it in your Bibles? therefore. And the reason he's doing that, he he starts here with a second thought, and he's connecting what he's about to say here with everything that he said in verses 1 to 13. In verses 1 to 13, he's told all about Israel, the northern kingdom, how they mocked the prophets, would have nothing to do with them, and they were judged because they discarded God's word. And he says, therefore, learn from them, verses 1 to 13, Therefore, now I speak to you, Judah, the southern kingdom. Now, he goes in then, he starts talking about a covenant with death. And you say, what in the world does that mean, Rusty? Well, in in 2 Kings 18, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against the Judah, the cities of the southern kingdom. The king at that time was a man by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was frightful, he was fearing of his nation because he'd just seen the northern tribe taken. And this is what he says. I have done wrong, and whatever you impose on me, I will bear it, talking to the Assyrians. Hezekiah then gives him all the silver and gold in the temple. In fact, he strips it. But still they come. And the Assyrians say to Judah and Hezekiah, Behold, you are trusting now in Egypt to the broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. Now Isaiah puts their actions, making agreements with those two giants, Assyria on one hand, Egypt on the other, in the clearest of terms. He says, you thought you were bringing peace, but in actuality you've made a covenant that will lead to death. And he explains it more. Verse 15, look in your Bibles with me. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. You see, it is a very fearful thing to see your neighbor captured, destroyed, and taken off. It would be like if we saw the entire state of Mississippi Captured by Oklahoma and taken away. Well, their desire then is to find a hiding place from Assyria, the giant. Their overwhelming whip, as Isaiah calls it. But rather than trusting in the Lord, what they trust in are lies. It is their refuge from fear. Okay? He says they're trusting in lies. What are the lies? Well, he tells you. Look in your scriptures there. Assyria will not come to us. That's it. In other words, their lie is we can save ourselves. We can fix our situation. And they hide in this lie until Assyria eventually does come and conquer them. For God's people, any shelter other than God, then the the cornerstone is a lie. It's a false lighthouse, you might say. In 1858, New Zealand built its first lighthouse, and it was in a city called Wellington, which is the capital of New Zealand, a very rocky area, a lot of strong currents coming through there. But there was a problem with those early lighthouses and that it was just a flame, right? And so when the boats and the ships would come in, maybe from Australia, in the evenings, they had a hard time discerning, is that just a house's lights? Is that just a family having a bonfire on the coast, or is that the lighthouse? And so there was a brilliant man who came up with an invention. He developed a lens with multiple holes in it and took the lighthouse up into the air so that it would function like a clock and that it would spin, and as it spun, the lenses would blink with the flame in the middle. So all the captains learned to look not just for a solid light but a blinking light And these blinking lights saved untold sailors. Now, what makes deception, lies, so appealing is it looks so right, sounds so true. So that often we never actually consider the message that we are hearing. We just live our lives buying the newest gadgets giving our children the newest phones, adopting the latest fads, embracing the lifestyles we see on TV every day. And it all looks so good. It all feels so right. It seems so innocent to just follow our hearts and our feelings. And the result is so often we're like a ship that runs ashore in broken hearts, depression, failed marriages, families that don't talk anymore, Crazy debt, anger, and frustration. And generally speaking, people don't fall into that type of lie or bondage overnight. We become enslaved to Egypt, you might say, over a season. And this is how I think that works. It works by hearing, by dwelling on something, by trusting in it, and then by acting. Let me explain. First, we hear something. We hear a lie. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words. So you cannot expose yourselves to things that are not true again and again and come out unscathed. Listening is the first step towards belief and action. Charles Spurgeon said the believer's got to have one deaf ear and one blind eye towards what he sees and hears. But we go past listening and we dwell on it. After we hear something about us, about God, about our world, we dwell on it often. We daydream about the possibilities, how great it would be. Or maybe I really am like what they say. Maybe that is really what people think of me. Or maybe God is really like that. And as we dwell on it, slowly we begin to trust in this lie. This is when we begin to receive something that is not truth about God, about myself, about the world as true. And that also means we then decide to not believe what Jesus said and told us as true. And lastly, we act on it. So we listen, we dwell, we trust, and we act. Belief always produces behavior. Behavior never comes out of a vacuum. It's birthed in beliefs. And we do eventually just what Judah did. We shelter in it and we refuge and we trust in it and we think, oh, now I'm protected. Now everything's okay. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Every sinful act in your life always begins with believing something that's not true, brothers and sisters, about yourself, about God, about your world. And as we reject God's truth and are led by a lie like Judah here, we don't just run to Egypt once, but it becomes a well-worn pattern or trail in our lives as we sin in a certain way again and again and again until we find ourselves in bondage in the very thing that we were seeking refuge from or to. And Isaiah the prophet says, when your trust in all of life is not in the Lord, you are making a covenant with something untruthful to hide you, to protect you, and the result is death, which for Judah was complete slavery and separation from the land and their God. Point two. Point two. Rest and refuge on God's cornerstone. So, point one, don't rest and refuge in a lie, listening, dwelling, trusting, acting on it eventually. Point two, rest and refuge on God's cornerstone. Look in your Bibles with me, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord God Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hell will sweep away the refuge of lies and water will overwhelm the shelter. This is what Adonai, the powerful God, says he will do. Behold, notice those words, Behold, I am the one. Behold, therefore, thus says the Lord God. And the word there is Adonai, the powerful God. Again, it's the same messianic language. First behold was in Isaiah 7. Behold, Emmanuel, God with us, born of a virgin. Now the same language. Behold, the cornerstone. Now notice something very important here. I am the one who laid it. Do you see that in your scriptures? I am the one who laid it. Not we'll lay it in the future, but the cornerstone has already been laid in Zion. The city and the people of God. Now, what does that mean? It means that the household of God, salvation, has always been built on the Messiah, on Christ. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Rusty, I've got a question. If the cornerstone had already been laid, like Isaiah says, how is it that Christ has not been born yet? In other words, how can God say this cornerstone's already, I've already laid it 700 and something years before Jesus is born? What well, means this? It means that the decrees, the decisions of God, the King of all things, go back to eternity. Paul describes it like this in Ephesians 2, verse 19 and 20. He picks up the same language. Listen, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The Old Testament saints, the prophets, the apostles are not two different churches, two different salvations. It's one. The whole structure of salvation by faith through grace alone are we declared righteous is built on the work of Jesus Christ. You say, how is that? Well, it's quite simple. The Old Testament believers were given the promise of God and through faith they were declared like Abraham righteous. And they were looking forward to that promise which was fulfilled in Jesus. We as Believers are on the other side of the cross, and now the Messiah, the cornerstone, has come. He's died, he's risen from the grave, and we're on the other side and we look back. But yet it's the same cornerstone Christ that saves. Now he describes that cornerstone. Look at those words in your Bible with me a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. The entire building rested on the quality of a cornerstone. They were remarkably expensive if you had to purchase one. All the weight rested upon it. And if it was not perfectly square, then the building would collapse. So they were tested for cracks, for fissures again and again. And Isaiah is saying the cornerstone already laid by God will prove to be the strongest foundation and the surest security to trust and build your life upon. Now, he then finally gives these marks. Okay, if you're a believer and your life is resting on the cornerstone, that means the work of Christ to save you, there are marks of Of you as a stone. Verse 16b and 17. Look in your Bibles. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. The ancient builders measured all of his stones with a plumb line to see if they were level and square and they discarded any that were not usable. And so Isaiah is using those terminology, that terminology, and he gives us two marks of someone who is born again, someone who is a believer, part of the house of God, who truly rests upon Christ alone for salvation. First, they are not in haste. It means their decisions are based upon faith in the cornerstone of their lives, not in their feelings and fear. They're not driven by that. And second, they love justice and righteousness. In other words, they love to do what God says is right, and they love to do what God says is just. It just bleeds out of them because of the Holy Spirit that's in them. So the prophet's call then is for God's people to refuge, to rest only in God's true and sure cornerstone, and the fruits of that in our life are justice, righteousness, and peace. I want to ask you, my friends, Where do you hide in stressful, challenging times? Where's your refuge? Where do you go? Let's say that you're the pastor of a great big church in Kentucky, and we'll give it a good name, Plains Presbyterian. Okay, we'll call it Plains Presbyterian of Kentucky. Or maybe we'll spice it up a little bit, give it even a better name. We'll call it the Presbyterian Church of the Second Circumcision good Presbyterian name. And you're the pastor there, and your church is growing like a weed. People are flocking in by the hundreds. So the elders come to you, and they say, brother, we need to go to a second service. It's not long before they come to you, and they say, we've got to go to a third service. We need you to preach a 4 30 a.m. sermon. A 7.30 a.m. sermon, and then wrap it off with a 10, and we got you booked in for two at night. Oh, man. Your music people come to you, and they're exhausted. Like, we, can't, we can't be here at three in the morning. We can't be here twice at night. Your facilities are stretching there like a balloon that's about to pop. The children's ministry wants this, and the youth ministry wants this, and the music ministry wants this. And you feel the pressure. I've never been in a situation like that. I'm not describing myself, but you feel the pressure. You feel the heat. You feel the challenge. Where would you hide? And a lie will tell you what you need to do is run from this situation, leave it, or you need to unwind every night with more and more alcohol. Or like a friend of mine, you need to just take your own life and escape. You're saved. Just, just go. Go to the Lord now. All lies that lead us to hiding places apart from Christ, the cornerstone. The world, the flesh, and the devil will give you lies to try to get you to hide, to refuge in hard times anywhere. But the only safe ground, God's cornerstone for your life, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, and do what he told Martha, sit at my feet, rest, refuge in me. How do we think and live this? How do you take this from your head to your heart? And we'll just close with a few thoughts. Francis Schaefer, the great theologian, says this, Christianity is not a series of truths, but truth spelled with a capital T. Truth about all your reality, not just your religious things. Which means to have your life built on the cornerstone is not just to say, I rest in Christ for my salvation. Salvation is not a trophy you put on the shelf. But all of my life is lived resting. All of my decisions are resting on Christ and His Word and His Spirit in place of lies and hiding from God becomes a cornerstone from God. So the call then is to come away from the places that you are hiding from God to believe and rest upon the work of the Messiah for your salvation and your satisfaction. And one of the results of knowing Christ resting in His work to save you is the believer's life is controlled not by haste when we feel the pressure of Assyria burdening on us, whatever that might be for you, we don't have to run to Egypt. We don't have to be impatient. We don't have to be impetuous in our decisions, rash and foolish, because our lives are resting on a cornerstone. We're resting on God. We look and trust in Him in all times through His Word and His Spirit. And last thoughts for you is... How do you know then, Rusty, if you're not resting fully on that cornerstone? A heart that rests and refuges in something besides Christ will fight every inch of Jesus' authority over their lives. They'll fight it. will find every reason not to obey what he says. But what they miss is seeing His authority is the believer's refuge in the hardest times. And what they miss and what they don't see is Christ is God's cornerstone for our heart and building our lives upon that is not just our salvation, but it is our hiding place, and that is God's grace to you. That when stress and difficult times and that pressure comes crashing in on you and the temptation is to run to this or to run to this or to end this. We say no to that because we have a cornerstone who died and rose again from the dead so that we might know what He says and who He is is true. And we come to Him and His Word and His Spirit. We search it and we rest as His people We're part of His house. And that's God's grace to you enemy. Father, I just praise you. Um, and yet, God, sometimes we want to be the cornerstone of our own lives. We want to fashion the building however we want it to look, whatever shape. We want to wiggle out of resting on Christ. Lord, we know Isaiah says therefore and that therefore is for us therefore first presbyterian church therefore believers learn rest upon Christ in the most difficult times run to him let him be your hiding place rest at his feet search his word cry out pour out your heart to his spirit oh god let us do that as a people lord let us not take hold of hastiness lord which leads to a covenant of death. Lord, lift us away from You. And we worship You and we praise You that You are such a loving God, Lord, that You gave us such a cornerstone. Rejected by men, yet received with all of our heart, trusted in by Your elect, by Your people, by Your church. In Christ's name, amen.